In the name of our one God, who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we continue to prayerfully and reflectively walk toward our great celebration of Easter following this past Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, when we heard of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and then the sudden and severe way in which the people turned upon him and rejected him. We have this evening placed before us on this Monday, Thursday, this powerful lesson from the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. It's part of what is sometimes referred to as the Upper Room Discourses. It is a it's a tender time, it's an intimate time, it's a focused time which Jesus spends with his closest followers shortly before his betrayal, shortly before his crucifixion and descent into the tomb. And so it is a time which is entirely focused as he desires to share with them the reason for the hope that we have, what it looks like to be in relationship with him, what it looks like to be one of his followers. And we have this simultaneously moving, but also shocking encounter as Jesus begins to wash his disciples' feet. The greatest and most powerful one in the room willingly, not reluctantly, but willingly lays aside um, his glory, humbles himself, and begins to wash their feet. Uh, and they are shocked, not surprisingly, by this. And as we attempt to reflect on what this might mean, what this might say about the nature and the character of God, what it might say about his relationship with you and with me. I share with you an encounter that I remember vividly to this day, and it's something which happened during my senior year of college. Perhaps my favorite professor at the Citadel was Colonel Tucker. Uh, Colonel Tucker was the head of the English department, was a brilliant individual, a humble, faithful man, uh, but he was also a person that was very much in demand. In addition to being the chair of the English department, he was also chair of numerous boards and societies, not only at the Citadel, but throughout the country as well. Basically, everyone wanted a piece of Dr. Tucker. And I remember one day in class, he came in and he uh, laid papers on the front of each desk, and the papers began to make their way back to us. And of course, I assumed it was an assignment that was being given to us. But when I received the paper and I read what it had to say, I was shocked because on the paper was an apology which Dr. Tucker had written to us, his students. Uh, <laughs> that's rather remarkable. Um, I didn't get to receive a lot of those, so it stands out in my memory. But I remember as well what he said. He apologized for what he said was his poverty of uh, inspiration and lack of organization. He was apologizing to us as students for his poverty of inspiration and his lack of organization. And he said, gentlemen, I, I hope to teach you something this day that attempting to become all things to all people, it's possible to become useful to none. Uh, and I would say that that was a lesson which he taught to us that I remember to this day, that I that I take to heart, and I share that with you for a number of reasons. And one, and granted, this is a bit of an exaggeration, but it was memorable because he laid aside his glory. Uh, here he was, the most 
powerful person in the room, uh, the one who was the leader of all of us, and, and he willingly laid that aside and he humbled himself and he became vulnerable before us. And I share that with you because I think there are two things that he desired to do in that particular moment, and I believe they're very illustrative uh, of what we see Jesus doing with his followers at this time. And the first thing is that he desired to teach us. Uh, he desired uh, to teach us something that could not only stay with us for the, for the rest of our lives, but something that would benefit ourselves and also benefit others. Uh, he desired um, to teach us something, but more than simply his desire to teach us, I believe he desired to reach us. Uh, he humbled himself. Uh, he laid aside all the rights and prerogatives that were his because more than uh, simply teaching us, he desired um, to reach us and he desired to, to bring about a change in our minds. He desired to bring about a change in our hearts. He desired to bring about a change in our lives. He didn't merely want to teach us, but he wanted to reach us. And I share that with you because as Jesus takes off his outer garment, as he wraps a towel around his waist, as he kneels down and begins to wash the feet of his disciples, I believe that it was in, he had the desire that it would be intentionally shocking uh, it would be memorable. And he, and he says as much, uh, see, I have set an example for you uh, that, you may do, that you may do as I have done for you. There's very much a teaching component in what Jesus is doing to show them what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom, what it looks like to be one of his followers. Uh, it means uh, a desire to serve others, a desire uh, to have an impact in the lives of others, a, a willingness um, to humble ourselves knowing that God is able to, to fill us uh, in a way that no one and nothing else can in our lives. So there's very much this teaching component in Jesus washing his disciples' feet and saying that I've set an example for you, uh, but also uh, he certainly wants to reach them as well. And as he teaches them uh, this, as he gives them uh, this example, uh, in many ways, more importantly, he also gives them a preview. Jesus gives them a preview of what he will accomplish the next day. Because as he goes and begins to wash their feet, we see that Peter is uncomfortable and indignant, and there's a certain, perhaps, humility about Peter's response. that This is out of order. You can't wash my feet. And Jesus says those words, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. And that, that word for part of me, what that means uh, is to receive an inheritance. Uh, what Jesus says is, unless I wash you, you, you miss out on the inheritance that is going to be made available um, to you, that free gift which will be extended to you in my death uh, and in my resurrection. And then Peter says, of course, well, not just my feet only, but also my hands uh, and my head. And, and what we see is that there is that necessary washing which must take place for you and for me, that once and for all washing, uh, the washing away um, of our sins, are being reconciled in our relationship with God, that, that reconciliation that doesn't exist by our own efforts, uh, that reconciliation that doesn't exist by our intentions, but the reconciliation that is accomplished and made available in Jesus' death for us, uh, that imagery that we are washed in the blood of the land, that being washed in the blood of Jesus, we are made um, white, we are restored, we are reconciled once and for all in a way which is permanent, 
as Jesus would say elsewhere in the 10th chapter, referring to himself as the shepherd and us as his sheep, that once um, we are his, once he calls us by name, that no one and that nothing can snatch us from his hand. Uh, that infinite security which he extends to us as we are washed in his blood, as we are reconciled to him, and that is something which is once and for all, which is permanent, which secures us in our relationship with him. But he refers as well to that ongoing washing which takes place, that washing um, of our feet, which is our regular repentance uh, that we so readily need in our lives, not merely in repentance in its design and that we might return to him, that we might be freed, that we might be um, washed of the things which, which bind us in this life be washed of the things that interrupt our relationship with him. There is that once and for all washing which takes place, uh, and then there is the ongoing uh, which we are invited to uh, in our regular um, repentance. We see that Jesus uh, desires, yes, uh, to teach them, but more importantly, to reach them. And it's certainly my hope and my prayer as we're gathered together this evening, uh, as we reflect uh, on this amazing example that Jesus provided for them and that he provides for us, but that we might reflect uh, ultimately on what it points to uh, and the way in which we are once and for all washed uh, as he is crucified for the sins of the whole world, as his body is given for us, as his blood uh, is shed for us, that we might be uh, mindful of that which has taken place um, on our behalf and mindful of the many ways in which in our lives we, we, seek, to, we seek to hide from him. Uh, we seek to not come to him in order to be washed, in order um, to be restored in the way that he desires to do um, for us. But what we also see uh, as Jesus washes their feet, and you've probably heard this so many times before, that particular role was uh, the most uh, menial role of all the various uh, slaves and servants. Uh, it was the one which not surprisingly would be avoided, uh, but I think it also says something as well about the grace and the character of God. Uh, whether in biblical times or whether in our time, feet uh, are not something that, that dirty feet don't draw you to a person. Uh, not going out on a limb uh, on that one there. Uh, but we see that Jesus is, is drawn to them and he, and he washes uh, the disciples see, one of the things, one of the fears that we have is to say, well, you know what, God can love these parts of me. God can wash these parts of me. Uh, but these, these actions, these parts of me, these are too repellent. Um, surely God would turn away from those. Surely God would draw away from those facets of my life. He would draw away and be repulsed by these particular things I've done and I've left undone. Surely he can address the other things, but he can't wash and he's not willing um, to address this. But we see the phenomenal and gracious character of God is that what you might think would repulse Jesus, what you might think would push him away, he actually draws um, toward in order that it might be washed, in order that we might be washed, in order that he might reach us, and in order that he might make us his, his sons and his daughters and heirs of his kingdom and of all of his promises. I share one final story with you, and it was a story shared years ago by a preacher by the name of Harry Ironside, uh, and it's the story of Tsar Nicholas I of Russia, and Tsar Nicholas had a good friend who had a son 
and Nicholas was particularly fond of this man and was also fond of his son as well, so he put him in a position in the Army with a significant amount of responsibility over the money and over the disbursement of the money to the soldiers. And the young man at first did very well in this position, but then some of his vices and weaknesses got the better of him. Uh, and his particular, uh, one of his most prevalent was gambling, and he began to gamble away all of his own money, which was not small. Uh, and once he had lost all of his money, little by little he began to take just a little bit uh, from that which was supposed to be passed on to the soldiers, uh, just a little bit, uh, and just a little bit, and like in our lives, just a little bit more, until one day came that the person was going to come to do the accounting, uh, to make sure the books uh, were correct, to make sure the money was there, that things were done in the way that they needed to be done. Uh, and he realized, uh, he of course had a moment of panic uh, for the reckoning which was coming. And he began um, to look at the books and to see actually how much uh, he had taken out, how much he was behind. And he took all the money out of the safe that he was responsible for and, and gathered the money that he had of his own as well. Uh, and he said this, that he found uh, it was woefully um, inadequate. And I share with you now uh, what he said. The young man knew he was troubled. So he took out the records to find out how great his debt was. He totaled the amount. Then he went to the safe, took out his own small amount of money, and counted it carefully. He subtracted the lesser from the greater. The debt was astronomical. As he sat looking at the final figure, the young officer picked up his pen and wrote in large letters, a great debt, who can pay? Then, because he did not see how he could face the terrible dishonor the next day held, he determined to kill himself with his revolver at the stroke of 12. He goes on to say that the night was warm and drowsy, so as he waited for the midnight hour in spite of himself, the young man's head dropped lower and lower and he fell asleep. It happened that Nicholas, who was in the habit of sometimes putting on the uniform of a common soldier and visiting the troops to see how they were getting on, did so this night, coming around to the halls of the very fortress in which the young officer was sleeping. Most of the lights were out as they should have been, but when Nicholas got to the door of this one room, he noticed a light shining under it. He knocked, no answer. He tried the latch and opened the door, there was the young officer whom he recognized asleep. He also saw the books and the money. The whole thing became clear in a moment. His first thought was to waken his young friend and place him under arrest. But as he read the young man's note, his heart went out to him. A great debt, who can pay? Moved by a generous impulse, the czar leaned over, picked up the pen that had fallen from the hand of the sleeping officer, wrote just one word and tiptoed out. For an hour or so, the young man slept. Then he suddenly awoke, and seeing that it was long past midnight, reached for the revolver. As he did so, his eye caught sight of his note, a great debt, who can pay? And under it, the one word that had not been there before, Nicholas. He was astonished, dropping his gun, he raced to the files where the signature of the czar was available. He pulled this out and carefully compared it with the signature on his note. It was the real signature. He said to himself, 
The Tsar has been here tonight and knows all my guilt, yet he has undertaken to pay my debt. I need not die. So instead of taking his life, he rested upon the word of Nicholas and was not surprised when early the next morning a messenger came from the palace bearing precisely the amount of money needed to satisfy the deficit. An amazing uh, and moving um, story, and one uh, in a small way illustrative of what we hear tonight in John's Gospel, of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus, we hear, uh, knowing that his time had come, uh, the time in which he would be glorified, which is to say his cross, knowing that the time had come, uh, he loved uh, his own and he loved them to the end, well aware uh, of what was in their hearts. Yes, uh, Judas would indeed betray Jesus for money, but as you remember from the account, um, the others didn't do much better. Uh, they assured Jesus that they would be with him, that they would never deny him, that they would never forsake him, uh, and they as well um, denied him. They as well pretended they didn't know him. They as well um, failed uh, and fled uh, from Jesus uh, during his hour uh, of need. And yet we see the incredible grace and character of God knowing um, what was in their hearts, knowing their indebtedness to him, knowing their inability um, to pay that debt. We hear that he loves them um, to the end, uh, and he gives himself for you and for me uh, in his cross, that our great debt to God might be washed away, uh, that we might be um, made clean, uh, that we might be God's sons and daughters and heirs of all of his promise. What I pray that you hear this evening, what I pray that I, in some small way, convey to you is the phenomenal grace and character of God who, rather than being um, repulsed and rather than rejecting us, rather than turning away from us, which he could so rightly do, is drawn toward us, that we might be washed and restored, uh, that you and I might have the hope and the security of that which can never be taken away from us. And the amazing nature of that truth in our lives might so change our hearts and might so change our minds that we might live in a way which is grateful, uh, grateful um, to God for his love and his grace and mercy poured out upon us, which we can never fully repay, and that we might be able to live freely in our love and service for others. And as we hear that this day, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks and praise that you and the gift of Jesus, your Son, wash us and wipe away the debt of sin in our lives, and you make us clean by what you have done in your cross and in your resurrection. Draw our hearts and our minds to this truth, most gracious God, that we might find the life which is found in you. And this we ask in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.